The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today we are going to be talking about energy and how energy relates to food, health, and agriculture. And I will be moderating a panel at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, this fall. And in so doing, I discovered Dr. Jill Kreisky. She is our guest today. She joined the Graduate School of Public Health at the University of Pittsburgh in August of 2011. Her responsibilities include research and community outreach specifically on the Marcellus Shale drilling. She's also a senior project coordinator for the Center for Healthy Environments and Communities. I like the mission of the center, which is to take a community-based approach to analyze the social, economic, political, policy, behavior, and geographical variables associated with environmental health issues. So when we talk about food, health, and agriculture, we have to also talk about energy. So Dr. Kreisky, I am delighted that you are with me today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I should let our listeners know that I hadn't even thought about fracking and and drilling really until very recently when I had to look at this issue as it related to food, health, and agriculture. And I found a, a USDA Economic Research Service report that spoke about in 2007, the U.S. food system accounted for almost 16% of the nation's energy budget. And between 1997 and 2002, over 80% of the increase in annual U.S. energy consumption was food-related. So we don't really think about the energy that goes into creating our food and packaging and processing and transport. But there is a lot. And then we typically don't think about how extracting energy or producing energy might influence the quality of our food and water. But there, again, there's a very important connection. So let's talk a little bit about fracking and what we're talking about. What is fracking exactly? Okay, well, what we're talking about in terms of natural gas extraction, which is new, is is what's known as hydraulic fracturing, and it includes what's known as horizontal drilling. So I guess I need to be clear that we've been extracting natural gas for a long time in this country. So so sometimes you'll hear proponents of the current unconventional gas drilling, which is what the kind that's on the rise is called. They'll say, well, you know, there's nothing to worry about. We've been extracting gas for a long time. But what's new and different is the process this process includes drilling. What used to happen is you would take a, you would drill down horizontally or, or vertically into the earth and tap into a gas source and pump out the gas. What happens in this process is, again, that vertical drilling, but then at some point when you hit the, the shale gas that you're going to try to get the gas out of, there is technology that allows turning the drill horizontal, so it's both going down vertically then turning horizontally. 
then that pipe gets perforated and millions of gallons of water and chemical and sand get forced down into into the piping and that breaks open the shale gas and the shale and allows the gas to come back up. So what's different about this process from what's been done in the past is the use of a lot of chemicals that maybe haven't been used in the past and thousands and millions, in fact, of gallons of water to make this process work. And so the concern with regard to food, agriculture, and water quality is the fact that these chemicals that are being forced into the earth come up and there are pools of contaminated water. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. There are a couple of things about what goes down and what comes up. What goes down is a mixture of water and chemicals and sand. And, of course, the people doing the drilling know what the chemicals are they're putting down underneath. What comes up is really something different. What comes up is, and it can be anywhere from, I've heard, I've seen numbers from 10 to 80% of the water that goes under, the water and chemicals that goes under comes up depending upon the geological formation and, and a lot of other factors. But what comes up is some of that water, those, some of those chemicals, but also a mixture of the chemicals that are naturally occurring underwater. So what comes up is typically very high in salinity, five to ten times what's in salt water, lots of totally dissolved solids, hydrocarbons, heavy metals, and radionuclides, so, and other heavy metals like arsenic and mercury. Natural, they're naturally occurring underground, but they mix with the chemicals in the water that are forced under, and this is, you know, so it's something different that comes up. So communities are sold on fracking because the, we're going to have jobs, we're going to have, I think it's been sold as clean energy, we won't be as dependent on Middle Eastern fuel. So this looks like a good idea on paper, but you've been studying what's been going on in communities, and you're finding that uh, there's a cost to this. That's right, and and I think those are the arguments you gave are really the arguments in favor of fracking, and and I don't want to diminish the positive impact that extraction can have on individuals in some communities. At least in our part of the country, I'm here in Pennsylvania, and in some of the rural communities where a lot of fracking occurs, they're fairly economically depressed communities. So to the extent that people can earn a livelihood through this industry, there are people who are going to be better off, and I don't want to diminish that. Some of the people who are much better off are are the people who own the mineral rights for the minerals under their their land. So they sign leases with the gas company, and, and they get paid royalties on that. And some of those people stand to earn a lot of money in the in the millions of dollars. Other people may own their land, but given sort of the historic land law in various parts of the country, they don't own their mineral rights. So... Uh, companies sometimes have the right to go onto somebody's property and drill and bring out the gas, and those people don't benefit economically at all. But to the extent that some people have these leases, 
they they benefit economically and to the extent that people get jobs related to the industry or jobs that are growing in number because the industry is settling in the area, there are benefits. We have a hard time measuring, though, and I just want to caution people about the jobs argument. It's it's somewhat difficult to measure the job impact for several reasons. One is that certain jobs uh, that are sort of the high-skilled jobs related to fracking and, and gas extraction People in a community that haven't had that industry before are not trained to do. So what we see in our part of the country is a lot of job creation, and those jobs are filled by people from out of state who have those skills. Mm. So if you're believing that because it's coming to your community, you're going to get a high-paying job, that certainly isn't true in the short run uh, if you don't have the skills. Some of the jobs that it does appear are growing very quickly are jobs like truck driving that that are needed in in the industry and in our and it's a pretty transferable skill but also the bulk of the jobs associated with with fracking come at the stage of of drilling and and establishing the wells once you've got a well up and pumping it doesn't take a whole lot of people so mm-hmm. Even if you were to enter this industry and in the drilling phase of the industry, you would probably do this with the understanding that you'd be moving around quite a bit because that phase lasts maybe six or eight weeks at any one well pad. So so that's the jobs issue. But I would like to say that there are a lot of impacts that are not expected. Um when you drill a well and you go through this fracking process that, that I talked about, that takes a lot of water. It takes millions of gallons of water and a lot of chemicals and, of course, the construction equipment to build the well. And that requires a lot of trucks. The, there are estimates that it takes between 1,000 and 2,000 truck trips to drill just one well. So imagine living in a rural community and suddenly, you know, a dozen wells are being drilled in your local area. You know, that, well, 2,000 truck trips for a dozen wells, that's a, you know, thousands of diesel truck trips through your, your neighborhood or through your community. And we know that diesel trucks emit pollution that are linked to negative health impacts. There's a lot of degradation of the roads because these are heavy trucks traveling on roads not used to that sort of traffic. And in some communities, what you're talking about is a real increase in traffic accidents and and even fatalities. A lot of the people expert in drilling come from Oklahoma, Texas, places that have had a lot of drilling in the past, and it's pretty flat country and pretty straight roads. Move into a community and southwestern Pennsylvania or West Virginia that's hilly and windy, and the, the travel is much different. So, so there have been an increase in accidents. You've even heard of cases where companies have been persuaded to hire a lead vehicle to drive in front of a school, school buses so that the school buses won't 
have a head-on crash with the uh, trucks that are coming into the community for the process of, of fracking. And I'm assuming that the communities are then responsible for picking up the tab for uh, road improvement and repairs, and then the community, the healthcare providers in the community are then overloaded by the kinds of ill effects that result from this influx of kind of dirty work, really. Well, that's right. And now there there have been some instances, and I can't really tell you how many, but but where companies will actually agree to do some road repair, knowing what they've done. Yeah. And you know, there are, states have regulations where trucks have to be licensed to drive in particular areas or at particular weights, but they're just not sufficient right now for for what's happening. The industry is, is developing faster than the regulations to cover right. them. Well, and in terms of the, the health impacts, which we can certainly talk more about, but in terms of the health providers, what some communities are seeing is, first of all, you know, more use of their emergency rooms, more patients that, you know, may have health impacts that, that aren't easily um, identified based on, you know, typically what's gone on in the community. If, 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 for example, workers are being exposed to chemicals and are having reactions to those chemicals, that's not something that, that doctors would immediately know, particularly if they don't know what the chemicals are, which is is also typical. Yeah, because these chemicals that the companies use are proprietary, right? They're secret. It's like a secret recipe that they're not they're not willingly communicating to healthcare providers. I I heard something about that too. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I can. Well, the industry will tell you that most of the chemicals they use are well documented. And there is a website called fracfocus.org, I believe, where industry uh, companies in the industry will list the chemicals they use. Now, what they don't list, of course, is, is the particular mixtures that they use in each site. And my understanding is that they vary from site to site. But I think what you're referring to, Melinda, that that you've heard of is, is the fact that companies are allowed in various states, and this is regulated at the state level, so companies are allowed to have some chemicals that are proprietary. They, you know, if, if they were to release this information, their competitors might then gain the advantage that the company has from using its special chemical mixture. But the problem is that those are the chemicals that they are not required to disclose. And if a, a person's getting sick and a doctor is trying to treat them, then how does that doctor go about finding out what the issue is? So I can I can give you a concern that we have here in Pennsylvania based on what our law is. So suppose a child's been playing in a field and uh, is sick, and and the doctor tries to figure it out, and it's, it's near a fracking site, so it may be a fracking chemical that has gotten released. That doctor can go to the company in the way our law is written, write a request with the agreement that they're only going to use 
the information about that proprietary chemical to treat that patient. And they can get that information and treat the patient. But if that's some child playing in a field and the child's playing with other children, my reading of that law is that the other parents could not be warned about what had made the the first child sick because the doctor's only treating the one child. So that's a concern that that many of us in the community have, that healthcare providers have a, a professional obligation to be sure that people are safe. And we feel like this may be flying in the face of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Jill Kreisky. She is with the Graduate School of Public Health at the University of Pittsburgh, and she specifically does research and community outreach on the Marcellus Shale drilling. She's also a senior project coordinator for the Center for Healthy Environments and Communities. Well, Dr. Kreisky, what you've been talking about are really these unintended consequences with regard to the community degradation. Yes, some people may be maybe making some some good money that they've never seen. It sounds like these drilling operations are going into otherwise poor or socioeconomically deprived communities, so it's harder to say no thanks. It's my understanding that there are also, while you're based in Pittsburgh and we're talking about Pennsylvania, I've seen about, is it about 34 states now that are that are having some fracking activity going on? Is that... Yeah. Your understanding? I, yeah, my well, my I'm not sure about the 34 number, but I can uh, I can confirm that the number is growing all the time because we here in Pennsylvania, also in neighboring states of West Virginia, New York, Maryland, and even into Ohio, sit on top of what's called the Marcellus Shale, which right now is considered the largest of these uh, shale gas deposits, but increasingly as the technology gets better and as the exploration continues, additional uh, shale plays are being found and being considered for drilling. So um, and next door to us in Ohio is now the Utica shale. The Utica shale is deeper than Marcellus and wasn't thought of to be economically viable for a long time, but you know, as the technology of for extraction improves, all of these shale plays are going to become very attractive, and the more attractive, the wider spread it's going to be. Mm-hmm. One of the statistics I found was that fracking takes 4.5 million gallons of water to drill and fracture a typical deep shale gas well, and up to 1 million gallons of that hazardous water-sand chemical mixture flows back up to the surface, which, if mishandled, can pose a threat to nearby water resources. And I'd like to add to agricultural enterprises. So, the data I have showing agriculture and high-volume slick water fracturing show that it's a, not a compatible relationship. So you've got soil contamination, you've got radioactivity, heavy metals, soil erosion and compaction, problems with ozone impacts, decreasing crop yields, the fact that the water's contaminated that so the livestock are poisoned, Many, many issues that we really haven't folded into the full equation of what is the cost. Yes, some people may be making good money, 
but what are the total costs to society in terms of community health and wellness? Right, and we have been seeing increasingly reports of farmers, especially related to the livestock issue, livestock and pets, because, you know, these are, they're they're closer to the ground, right? They walk on four feet. And, you know, when this fluid comes up out of the, out of the fracking site, there are a couple of different ways to get rid of it. One is to create a pond, which has a, you know, it has some sort of um, barrier, a plastic barrier or something down there to, to keep, hopefully, to keep the fluids from getting into the groundwater. But, you know, if it's a pond and there's not a, a proper fence around it and animals walk over to it, they're going to drink it and it's it's a lethal mixture. But there, there are bigger problems than that. Even if the ponds are fenced, you know, a heavy rain could, can cause runoff and the runoff can, you know, gets into the soil, gets into the groundwater. There are problems in describing the drilling process. I didn't go through the whole story of how the pipe is put down and there's cement put around it and that sort of thing. But, you know, they try to do this in a safe way, but but there are, you know, there are accidents. And so an improperly drilled and sealed well, will liquids can get through there. And the other way of disposing of this liquid <laughs> is to put it in a truck and truck it out, well, a road accident can cause spills as well. So there are many ways that this can get into, that animals can get into it or that it can get into soil. So when the trucks are taking it out, where are they bringing it to? Well, this is this is an interesting dilemma um, because it is, you know, it's, waste that can have a lot of uh, harmful chemicals and, and radioactive material in it, right? So so one uh, a popular method for for a long time was injecting it into in back into the ground essentially. And if you have the right sort of geological formations then then that's a, a way to sort of or at least it's thought that that's a way to keep it contained. But earlier this year, actually right around the first of the year, in Ohio, where a lot of this waste goes from Pennsylvania, goes into the into Ohio for a deep well injection of the waste, there was a series of earthquakes that were found to be related to this because of of the geologic formations in which they were they were injected. So again, it's it's you know, one thing we know about about fracking, maybe the only thing we know for sure, is there will be surprises. No one thought fracking was going to cause earthquakes from injecting this, this wastewater, but it has. It, you know, it has been linked pretty conclusively to, the, to that experience. Now, no one was hurt in those earthquakes, but certainly, you know, you can imagine uh, there is now hydraulic fracturing in California, and you can imagine what might happen in a, you know, a state that has a lot of uh, a lot of faults to begin with, that this is going to have to be dealt with very carefully. You have to wonder why a state would agree to take toxic material from another state. I'm assuming there must be a nice monetary reward for that, but the costs 
I guess, you know, coming from an environmental health center, you probably wonder, like I do, why we aren't thinking more about long-term consequences to public health. Why isn't public health entering into the conversation enough? Is it that we're just not trained to think that way? Or is it the money that is so attractive that we, we think we can push those public health effects aside? What's getting well, in the I, way? I think it's a combination of things. I think that people want to believe that this country can be energy independent. So when they think, oh, wow, here's a source of fuel that, that that's all ours. No one's, you know, we don't have to go outside this country to get it. That That's appealing. But I do think, and I, I do think individuals who are, you know, <laughs> the big winners in this industry, you know, want to move very quickly and, and make their money while they can. And, and I, I think, you know, the argument that there may be jobs is also appealing. But I also think that, that, that health doesn't get raised because if people begin to believe that this is going to affect their health, if, if they are very faced with it very clearly, you know, I do believe the public would, there'd be enough public outcry to put the brakes on. And I don't, I think politically, lawmakers don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think until now, and I do think it's changing some, but I think at least initially, the concerns were raised in sort of an environmental framework. Well, the water is going to be hurt or the air is going to be hurt. Of course, we know that if the water is is contaminated or the air is contaminated, that that, that can impact public health. But it, but that was the frame. If if the frame had been this is going to hurt our children or this is you know this is going to shorten our lives, um, I think there would have been a completely different response to it, and and maybe the process would have been slowed, and the appropriate studies would have been done to be sure that that it is safe, because they aren't being done. There aren't comprehensive epidemiological studies that are looking at the health of people before fracking, what happens during fracking, and what their health is like afterwards. Those sorts of studies have not still have not been developed. There are only only little pieces are now beginning to occur in various places. Yeah, I wish that we spent more time looking at the precautionary principle and not moving forward unless we're sure we're not going to hurt future generations. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Kreisky, for being my guest. We've been speaking with Dr. Jill Kreisky. She's with the Graduate School of Public Health at the University of Pittsburgh, and her responsibilities include both research and community outreach on Marcellus Shale drilling. She's also a senior project coordinator for the Center for Healthy Environments and Communities. And we were talking about some uh, websites that might be helpful to learn more. FrackTracker.org is one, and that's F as in Fred, R-A-C, 
T-R-A-C-K-E-R.org, and we'll put that on the KOPN website. I want to thank you so much for being my guest. I want to thank my listeners for joining me, and I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Dr. Kreisky, thank you so much for sharing what's going on in your state and for giving us reason to be concerned and stay vigilant. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much.